Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I'm your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and welcome one and all to Valor Studios. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, Valor Studios is an RPG content creation community where we love to share our stories with the rest of the world. If you like what you see tonight, definitely give us a subscribe and a follow here on Twitch. Uh, That's one of the best ways to know when we are uh, going live on Mondays is to get that notification here on Twitch. And we definitely appreciate the support of a subscribe. Not expected, but definitely appreciated. If you want to stay up to date with what we have going on, uh, you can follow Valor Studios on Twitter, or you can join our Discord community, which you'll see a link for here in the chat. And that's a great way to uh, you know see all the announcements that we have coming up, which uh, we'll get to at the end of tonight's show. We have a, a very exciting thing to share with you guys. And uh, that's also a great way to communicate with those of us who are involved here at Valor Studios and you know just talk about gaming ideas and create a really cool, thriving community of you know folks who watch this show and want to give us feedback and, you know, want to give us your ideas for what you'd like to see in future Valor Studios content. We also want to thank those of you who are watching this on YouTube or listening to this in audio. We love that you're supporting us in that way. If you want to join us live every Monday night, we're doing this here at twitch.tv slash Valor Studios at 8 p.m. Central Time. And uh, those of you who are with us live, if you've got friends who you know would love this conversation, Uh, the YouTube link and the audio link are the best ways to share that. Uh, This can be found on any podcatcher and, of course, on the Valor Studios YouTube channel. So, without further ado, I want to introduce everyone to tonight's guest. Uh, He is very heavily involved in the Dungeon Crawl Classics line at Goodman Games. Uh, He is just, you know, one uh, one of the loudest voices when it comes to spreading the love of... Dungeon Crawl Classics, a game system that you know is very near and dear to my heart. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome Michael Curtis. Michael, welcome to Rolling Bones. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, it's great to have you on. So, so we are here to discuss something that's uh, very near and dear to my heart tonight. Apparently, apparently, you <laughs> were talking DCC. So, yeah, so I, I'm very, ex- I'm always very excited to talk about that. So. So what do you got for me? <laughs> well, what I've got for you at first are uh, these questions that everyone gets asked the first time they come on Rolling Bones. So let's begin at the beginning here. Mike, how did you get into role-playing games? So I got into role-playing games in 1980. 
when I was a young I was a young lad visiting relatives in upstate New York, and it was uh, over Christmas break, and it was a rainy day. And my cousin Matt, who was about two or three older, two or three years older than me, said, "Do you want to play a game?" And I said, "Sure." And he came went upstairs and came down with a copy of the Holmes Basic Dungeons and Dragons set, which is the uh, the kind of uh, blue and white box with the with the uh, David Sutherland dragon on the front of it. And he said, "Okay, we're going. We're going to play. We're going to play Dungeons and Dragons." And he proceeded to hand me an entire party of adventurers. So um, a lot of people say, "Well, what was your first character?" Mine was an entire party. I ran an entire party of adventurers through a dungeon, and uh, we. Uh, so uh, my cousin Matt said, uh, "All right." I said, "Well, well how do you play this game? Where's the board and all the rest?" Of it? He said, "Well, you know, we kind of make it up as we go along." I said, "Fine." He said, you go into the dungeon, you find the treasure. I said, ah, perfect. Uh, so I, me and my six character sheets, we went into the dungeon, and he was describing a room with giant ants, and we fought the giant ants, and I found like 18 copper pieces. And I was, hooray! And he said, what do you do now? I said, oh, I go back to town. And he said, he said, I said, what? He said, well, I found the treasure, right? And he said, no, there's more of it. So, uh, so that proceeded, I realized that, oh, okay, this was just the beginning of stuff. Um, so then, uh, so yeah, so then I spent that afternoon running an entire party of adventurers through a dungeon. Uh, it wasn't one of like the famous ones. I, I think Matt probably made it up. And I remember, uh, encountering a hellhound for the first time and immediately slamming the door. Uh, so I kind of noped right out of that early on, you know, uh, displaying some great long-term dungeon survival tactics and, uh, and then proceeded to fall down a period of uh, a series of, of, of pits of increasingly depth. And I wasn't worried until we ran to a 50-foot one because we only had 50 feet of rope. So I thought if we fell into a 60-foot pit, we were in deep trouble. <laughs> but, uh, so that was my first experience with D&D. I came back home from that Christmas break, and I said to my mom, I said, you have to buy me this game. <laughs> and uh, and from then, I was hooked. <laughs> gotcha. So in that uh, that time since that first game, uh, what would you say your favorite game system that you've you've used to to play in and to run is um that's the that is kind of like asking that's actually what my favorite movie is um is i don't have like an all-time favorite of anything i always have like my favorite for this time period like you know like what mood i'm in you know i mean so because there's just been there's just so many of it i mean i'm i'm con i'm contractually obligated of course to say dungeon crawl classics <laughs> and uh, all classes, of course, has been very important to me, and I do love running a lot of DCC. But one of the things I love about DCC, it is immensely hackable. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, it 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 it, uh, it lends itself to basically almost any situation I can think of. But at the same time, you know, I'm I you know I'm a big fan of you know I've been playing for you know 40 plus years now so it's you know so it's it's i i mean i i have gone i've seen the industry i've seen the, the hobby go from you know from uh you know level based you know 3d6 down the line to you know point by systems to basically to you know like indie games now to like literally storytelling games you know where everybody takes a turn as the as the, as the game master um, I mean, I'm old school at heart, but that's just what I know about. But as kind of as part of my job these days, as I, as I work professionally in the, indus in the industry, it's me kind of keeping aware of what else is out there and making, you know, just trying to see what else is coming down the line. So it's it's really depending, I you know, depending on, on what the mood is. I've been running a, a, the One Ring uh, campaign for the last four years for friends of mine. But, you know, I mean, but uh, then again, I've been, I spent the first summer of the pandemic running DCC for 15 people. We had a, we had a campaign that ran uh, with three different groups going back and forth. 
Uh, I ran three different sessions a week, one for the lawful group, one for the neutral group, one for the chaotic group. And yeah. we were we were trying to figure out, we, it was literally to determine the fate of the universe, whether law, neutral, or chaos would end up, uh, you know, affecting the, the multiverse. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, uh, so I do not have a favorite one. Um, you know, it's like music. It's, you know, depending on what my mood is. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Now that's, that's interesting running three campaigns that are split that way into the, the alignments. Were they affecting each other's campaigns? Very much so, because I mean, because I, I I have been interested in the roots of role playing for a long time now. So you know, I I have my D and D you know white box. You know, I I don't have I can't afford a wood grain box, but I have a white box. So I I've gone back to like the 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 roots of the hobby. And one of the things that has always struck me is that the concept of alignment, which gets bashed a lot, you know, it's like well, this is kind of stupid. In from a war game sense, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It's basically literally alignment, like choosing a side. It's not a member. It's not like necessarily a morality. Like lawful is good and chaos is evil. It's it's literally picking a side in some sort of conflict. So I took a lot of that when I was running the uh, the, the big campaign. So it was you know law and neutrality and chaos. They were all trying. They were all working basically for their side. Um, so it was a matter of. I, I have a little bit of a wargaming background, so I'm used to kind of like, you know, like the certain objectives you have to, you know, achieve in order to like win a wargaming, wargaming scenario. So I kind of applied that to the campaign. So every, like, because we were doing intermittently and we're all doing it over Zoom, we knew we had three or four hours to like, you know, do every session. So at the start of each session, it was kind of it was kind of a West Marches. It's like they always began like in their their side's headquarters, and then they would go out and do a mission, and then they would come back at the end of it. So this way, if somebody wasn't able to make the, make the next week, it wouldn't be a big deal. But gotcha. so they always had they would always have like one main goal that they had to acquire, and then they would have like sub goals along the way. And like like if they acquired the main goal, they got like three points, and like and like sub goals were also worth a point or whatever it was. So every week I would tally you know basically how much advancement that each side did. And then I, that's how I kept track of how, like, the overall, you know, the course of the, the war for the multiverse was going on. And uh, there was a Facebook group, and every week I would post, like, an update, uh, which was basically, like, what the other side... It was kind of like the, you know, rumors that were going around. And it would usually be, like, if one side got up to something that was, like, public knowledge, they would hear about it on the face group. And then, like, the other... So the other sides would be like, nobody knew what the other group was up to. So there was a lot of going back and forth and everything. And and uh, in a, in a in a in a great case, the uh, the the neutral team actually they they forged a letter and they managed to get it into like the chaotic information network. So uh, the so chaos actually made an attack on a um, on a on a, a big skull uh, that was orbiting the planet uh, because they thought there was an artifact there. Little did they know that neutra neutrality had already got up there, raided, the, raided it, and got the artifact out. So they had basically threw, threw a red herring in Chaos's path, and Chaos followed it and basically took them out of the, like, the big triumphant, you know, who's going to win the multiverse fight. So it was, it was very much everybody's actions was influencing the other one. Uh, it was you know, something I had always wanted to do. Um, and it just like, you know, the first summer of COVID seemed like the perfect time to do it because, you know, where, when else am I going to have 15 people with nothing to do? <laughs> you know, right. let's sit at home and talk on the, you know, talk on their computer for, you know, for eight weeks during the summer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when it comes to running your games and then when you get the chance to actually be a player in the mm -hmm. games, how would you describe your, your play style when it comes to both of those things? 
so I, I, uh, there's, there's something which kind of falls back with both of them. Um, like when I very, like when I'm a, when I, when I'm a game master, I very much like to encourage collaborative, you know, collaborative, uh, you know, uh, elements to the game. I like when people suggest stuff, even if it's not something that I currently have mind, uh, when I do world build, like when I do, I don't do, I don't prep longer than 20 minutes for any really game campaign or any game session. Uh, just because I, I like the challenge of coming up with stuff, but I also like being open up for people to suggest stuff. And I like to encourage a collaborative, uh, collaborative, you know, play environment. And when I am a player, I also like to do the same thing. And what I do that is that I often try to pay attention to what's going on at the table. And if somebody is not getting a lot of, you know, like, you know, table time, if somebody is kind of like hanging back or anything, just either because it's their personality or because maybe there's another person in the player who's who's much louder. Um, I always try to kind of say, hey, what, you know, what, what do you think we should do? What's your plan on this? And try to kind of get, try to draw wallflowers into the game and have them kind of, you know, involved in well, trying to get that collaborative energy going on. Uh, that's something which doesn't really change depending on what side of the screen I'm on. I guess I'm always trying to keep an eye out on everybody's having a good time. And if I can facilitate that, no matter what type of screen I'm on, I, I, I do that. <laughs> so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, uh, those of us who put a lot of time and effort into this hobby as, you know, streamers, content creators, writers, artists, we do a lot of this out of love, and that love comes from many fond memories we have around the table. So, Mike, if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Oh, God. Um, so... I have one, and it's very atypical, but I think it is. It, it is in college. There was a group of us who we were playing. This was a first edition AD and D campaign at this point, and it was it was a rather protracted game, and it had basically one of those things where it was the classic. There was like a, a baby who was a lost heir, um, and you know there was like the evil warlord was trying to you know get rid of the baby and try to you usurp the thing, and we ended up basically trying to you know save the baby and try to be the resistance. Basically, we were trying. We were we were the ones who were going to get together and um, and overthrow you know stop the evil warlord's plans. You know it's it's a while, so I don't always ever what, remember what the plans were, but I do remember that we had. Um, it was uh, we had finally gotten the baby to like a group of bunks and we had got the baby out of the way and we were on our way to somewhere else uh so we were traveling down a coastline and uh it was a very quiet very quiet like we weren't there weren't any fights going on but we had stopped for the night and we stopped we were along the beach and uh, we were in the side like the ocean were breaking on the beach and it was one of those very immersive moments where everybody just got into their character and we began to describe what we were doing during our downtime. Like, you know, like we had got a little bonfire going on the beach and like one of the characters had a dog and like, you know, they were playing, you know, basically place and fetch with it with a dog. And we were talking about like character background stuff. And, you know, we were just talking about like kind of in character hopes and dreams of what we managed to do, what we had hoped to achieve with all this. And it was one of those moments where all the players were just kind of like Jones, like they were all on the same wavelength. And for a little bit of time, we get, just kind of fell away from the game, and we weren't thinking about, like, okay, well, you know, what's what's the next monster, or, you know, what plus my sword is, or anything like that. We just kind of got into the moment, and, you know, it wasn't very long. We maybe killed about a half hour of it. But it was one of those moments of storytelling with just, every, again, everyone was contributing to it, 
and we got i think all of us had a pretty much uh, a very clear mental image and um and we were very immersed in that moment I, you know nothing no grandiose thing but it just i mean this was sometime in the early mid 90s so the fact that i still remember that you know almost you know almost you know, close to 30 years later um i would say that was a pretty special moment so i say not not your usual one it wasn't you know that wasn't dispatching the demogorgon with an actual 20 or anything but it was um you know um just being uh being that shared kind of uh, moment with your fellow players um and maybe you know just the, i mean the whole way that, that this is you know this is to play pretend and uh you know and, and the, the veil between pretend and reality kind of slipped away in a very positive way for for a very short period of time that's that's always been a memory that I've always I've always treasured, and uh, you know one of those ones you couldn't replicate if you tried again. You know for fifty years it was just you know that time everything fell into place. Yep. Yeah that that that's absolutely something that draws me to the game as well. Those moments where you forget that you're not uh, your your character, where you get to kind of cast away the the real life and and fully fall into who your character is. Now, I've had situations where I got upset about something that I shouldn't have gotten upset about because that happened. Uh, but th there is a good positive side to that as well. And that that moment that you described there sounds awesome. And there's, there's a reason that role playing is, you know, used in psychotherapy, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Now we've got one last introductory question for you, and I uh, I will warn you, this is a bit of a doozy. The answer to this question can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Okay. Uh, Mike, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Uh, anything on a t-shirt. Um... I would say no boring shit <laughs> because that's become my go-to advice uh, for, for when people ask me how to run good games. Uh, and it's also, as I get older and older, uh, I realize my time is finite. Uh, so I would rather be doing stuff, which is at least memorable. <laughs> so, yeah. So we didn't establish whether there was any, you know, uh, explicit com content allowed on the show before we began shooting. So I, I hope we're okay with it. You're good to go. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so, uh, my, my advice is become write that on the top of your GM screen uh, when you were running a game. And whenever you get lost, looked at that and then just, you know, just, just that's what you do next. No. Mm -hmm. Every now and then I like to answer this question myself. And because we have you on the show, uh, I will give one of my possible answers for this. Uh, having recently read the uh, the Fofford and Grey Mouser story where Fofford becomes the the acolyte of uh, the god in the bottle, I want the the image of completely shaven Fofford uh, bursting out of uh, the tavern that he had been tied up in with the bed still attached to him, mm -hmm. screaming, the jug on a shirt. That would be a good one. <laughs> a bit esoteric, but those of us who would know appreciate it, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. 
And again, it's one of those shirts that should either be very, very cartoony or very detailed. Right. You go either way with that. Yep. <laughs> or you just make it a double-sided shirt. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you, get the, get, you get them coming and going that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, one side's like a, a, a Brahm or, or Larry Elmore type oil painting, and then the back side's like stick figures. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, like Barvaya Order of the Stick. absolutely now getting into stuff that's more specific to uh to you and what you do again we have to kind of start at the beginning here how did you get involved with uh joseph goodman and goodman games and dungeon crawl classics so uh back in the the late aughts um uh about 2008 back when kind of the old school renaissance was kind of not quite hit its you know hit its full stride but was still going on and the blogosphere was very there was a lot of old school blog but not not as many as there would be about a year later uh so there was a lot of you know so it was i had been out of the hobby for a good number of years and and about 2008 i i started dipping my toes back into it and i had you know i checked out like 3.5 was the edition at that point. And, you know, I read 3.5. I said, this isn't D&D as I remember. So I, I started looking for a way to get three point, like, cause is there a way to adapt 3.5 to second edition? And that by doing kind of web research, I discovered the old school Renaissance. And since everybody had a blog at that point, I was really enjoying the creative, uh, the creative, you know, atmosphere at that time. I said, I'm going to do a blog too, you know? So, um, so I had one and I had been up and running maybe about maybe two or two or three months at this point. And I decided I want to take a break for two weeks and not have to post. So I wrote uh, a series of blogs, which I called the Dungeon Alphabet, which was just basically the the 26, 26 classic dungeon tropes. You know, you know, A is for apple, you know, B is for box, but it was, you know, A is for altars, B is for books, C is for caves, that kind of stuff. And I posted it on the blog, you know, like, you know, once every like Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So I would go, hey, I take two weeks off. I don't have to worry about posting anything. And I think um, after like the first week, I got an email from this Joseph Goodman character. And he said, I'm really enjoying the Dungeon Alphabet series. Would you be interested in developing this into a role-playing game supplement? So I said, let me let me look. And so I, I did some research about Joe Goodman and looked at Goodman Games. I said, you know, hey, this, he looks legit. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? And like, you know, I just I said, let's let's ride this rocket, you know, let's see what's gonna go. So um, so I he basically taught me how to develop a, uh, a material for, for um, professional publication. And uh, I wrote the manuscript for the Dungeon Alphabet, I guess, over the next couple of months and submitted it. And he really enjoyed it. And, uh, and eventually, about you know, roughly a year later, it was finally published. And uh, for a while, at, at that point, it was the best-selling uh, Goodman Games pro- product that Goodman Games had ever put out. So Joe had just figured, hey, this guy, you know, uh, he's got something here. And more importantly, he can make his deadlines. So around that point, I said, you know, I have a follow-up. I called the Adventurer's Almanac. He said, great, start working on it. And then Joe said, I'm, I'm working on this game called Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG. Would you take a look at it and kind of basically do, give, give me your thoughts on it. So I got the alpha draft version of the DCC rules at that point. And, um, you know, I gave him a couple, I read through him, gave him some feedback. And then he asked me to do some additional writing on that. And, you know, I, that, that was pretty much my foot in the door. And uh, I, have, I haven't stopped working for Joe since. 
So, uh, so, so I started working for him in 2008. Uh, first thing I was ever was I ever did was 2009, and here we are, 2022, and I'm now director of product development for Dungeon Crawl Classics for Good Man Games. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how the story began. Gotcha. Well, I'm still and, riding that same rocket that that Joe put me on when he said you want to do this dungeon alphabet thing. So. That's something that I've heard a lot of people say about Joseph Goodman is that he's real good about coming alongside people that he wants to work with or people that are working within kind of the the DCC landscape and uh, you know helping support them and helping you know get the get the triceratops on the corner of their book and you know just make sure everything's up to standards uh which i think is really cool that he's willing and and able to do that for uh you know the community around his game he, I, everything i've learned about the industry i've learned through joe and i mean joe has been around goodman games just celebrated its 20th anniversary so i mean it got started during the 3.0 like not even the 3.5 the 3.0 you know open game license boom and if you look back on the carnage and wreckage that <laughs> is strewn strewn across the landscape from that 3.0 boom how many of those companies are still you know functioning and, mm -hmm. and that, that says a heck of a lot about Joe's business sense and about how you know what he knows about this industry. Uh, and you know, he from the very beginning, he has been if you want a third party license for DCC, it's very easy to get. You just there are just certain things you have to like, you know, you just you know, certain certain things that you you know, you just kind of you know, we, we are somewhat family friendly. Um, but, uh, you know, but if for the most part, uh, we're, he's really easy to work with. And because of that, the, I, I still, I still, the DCC community is one of the most creative bunch of people that I've ever had the pleasure of noticing, uh, being like being part of, and they constantly amaze me with the stuff that people are coming up with. And, uh, that's one of the reasons why it took us forever to put out the, the annual, which was a running joke. It's like, we were like, Hey, you know, we'll put out one of these every year. And then we saw what the third party was, what the third party was pointing out. We were like, wow, we got to step off our game because you know, all the stuff that we thought we were going to cover the third party people were doing, and they were doing it great. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so, so by the time six years later, that we finally got the annual out, we're like, that's why we had magical mustaches in it because nobody else had come up with magical mustaches in the third party yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, no. I mean, there there is, like you said, just a, a wealth of amazing third-party content out there from, uh, I mean, what, one of my favorites is obviously David Beatty's uh, Weird Frontiers game. That That is a very interesting take on the, the DCC rules with the, the Western stuff incorporated, which I, I'm on board for anything with cowboys in it, so... Yeah, and uh, and the great thing about Joe is not, I mean, not only does he, you know, not only does he support it with granting the third party license or anything, but you know, we, there's third party stuff for sale on the Goodman Games site. I mean, it's, I mean, there's, you know, there's, I mean, things like, you know, wizards, like wizards, they have like their, you know, their, their, their uh, the DMs guild or anything, you know, they, so you get stuff to like drive through, but you can't go to like wizards.com, you know, slash D and D and pick up something that, you know, has been being put out by, you know, somebody who's writing, you know, third party stuff for wizards. And, you know, I mean, it's, and, you know, and the, 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 the terms, you know, I mean, we're, you know, the DMs guild stuff, it takes what, 25% or whatever it is, is, you know, 50%, whatever it is. You're selling to that. Joseph's like, you know, like whatever, man. It's like you know, you know, I'll, I'll give you advice on how to do it, but you know, it's your money in the long run. So, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's a great, very creative, uh, nurturing environment. 
and uh, and I'm, like I said, I'm constantly amazed about what people are coming up with. You know. Absolutely. Now, uh, one thing, actually, there are two things that have to be discussed when you have Michael Curtis on the show. Uh, so we'll start with uh, the Chain Coffin. Tell us a little bit about that particular adventure anthology, where those ideas came from, and, and how that particular aspect of DCC came to be. So that basically came up with the fact that Joe is very open to listening to ideas, uh, if you know how to ground them correctly. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I went so I'm I'm a New Yorker by birth and I went to college in the Catskill region. I I'm originally from Long Island, New York. I'm from a very flat, sandy place. Uh, but from a very young age, in fact, when I would go up and visit the same cousin who taught me to play D and D, I would get off Long Island and I would see rocks. So you know, so I I and which are which amazed me. You know, like the idea of rocks and boulders and all the rest of that stuff. When the like the the, the biggest thing you see on the island is you know maybe like a you know like you know fieldstone like a cobblestone that's on somebody's driveway um so i have always i i often said that you know if i had not made it as a in another life i could probably be a very happy life as a geologist but uh but i went to school right in the shadows of the catskills so i was you know i was kind of part of the you know roughly part of the appalachian chain so you know i have always enjoyed mountains i've always enjoyed that kind of thing um and that was kind of just in the back of my mind until I read Manly Wade Wellman. And I read the uh, John the Balladeer, the Silver John Tales, um, and which are, of course, all take place in uh, North Carolina, right in the heart of Appalachia. And um, and I enjoyed them to a great deal. I just I think Manly Wade Wellman is a wonderful writer. He had a great ear for language. Uh, and that's something I've all, you know, as, as a writer and as a, you know, my, I, my degree is in English, I enjoy watching what people can do with language. So, so, um, uh, Manly Waymont's characters sounded very authentic and I like turns of phrases. So, and they're, and they're great, you know, entertaining, spooky, horrific stories. So one of the names, which is on the classic appendix N, which is, you know, Gary Gygax's list of what influenced Dungeons and Dragons and is also kind of like the backbone of DCC, Manly Wade Melman is listed there. And I said, Joe, I really love Manly Wade Melman. I really enjoy the story. Nobody that I know has done a an American fantasy, you know, kind of you know stuff. I mean, Stephen King's Dark Tower maybe a little bit, but you know, not to the point where you know. I mean, is where. So I said I want to write a man. I want to write basically Manly Wade Melman with the kind of the with the with the serial numbers you know filed off and make it a fantasy setting rather than just a you know rather than kind of like you know um, American nineteen nineteen fifties setting. So, um, so he said, all right, do, so I did the idea is I would write a 10,000 word adventure and that was good. That was going to be the chain coffin. And, uh, Joe was like, oh, well, 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 we hadn't really done it much of the way of kickstarting at that point. So like, we'll, we'll try it out as a kickstarter. And he said, do we need a hook? So I said, all right, we'll have the spinning puzzle, the spinning puzzle on that. And that, that's why we'll kickstart it and we'll see if we can do it and everything like that. And then the the Kickstarter just took off for whatever reason. It's like that adventure just struck a chord. And I said, Joe, you know, if this if this turns out to be popular, I have a whole bunch of other stuff that I could write in this setting. And he said, get to work on it because we're going to do stretch goals. <laughs> and and that's how the chain coffin went from kind of this crazy idea that I had from you know going to school in the Appalachia and going to school in in, in the Catskills to this first box set. <laughs> and uh, and surprisingly, uh, it has apparently struck a chord with a lot of people. 
that especially a lot of people who are Appalachian natives who were just who realized this and would I, I got a lot of emails like this is really good like you did a great job and I said not bad for a New York Yankee huh you know it's like, <laughs> I don't know what I managed to do but I think the secret is because I think I treated like the Shud folk uh, who obviously you know I did my research. Uh, it was so easy and has been done so much in the past of people just engaging in stereotypes. And that's something that I stayed very much away from. It's like I wanted to treat everybody as people. And, uh, and you know, and to this day, like, you still, still, you know, people will talk about, you know, like the Shutter Mountains and, and the Chain Coffin, and somebody will eventually will throw in, like, a, you know, like a Deliverance gif, you know, or something like that. And I'm just like, you're not getting it, man. It's like, you know, yeah. it's. <laughs> it's a you know it's it's a you know my my family far enough back is actually uh north carolina i mean they're they're scotch irish uh so you know so there's a little bit of a but i was born and raised in new york so anything that's in there is, is pure genetic dna memory you know it's a, <laughs> that that combined with you know extenuate you know um so very deep and very thorough research mm-hmm. <laughs> so so that's that's how that came to be, and uh, surprised all of us on how well it, it turned out. And I, it's one of those settings I don't like looking back at my past work for the most part. But uh, like the Shutter Mountains is something I is a place I never get tired of going back to because there's always there's always something like you know I've yet to get to tap into for inspiration there. Yeah, and as a as a Scots Irish North Carolinian myself, I thank you for. Uh, for doing your research and and not leaning so heavily on the stereotypes, uh, it it was Jim Goad in Redneck Manifesto that said the uh, the hillbilly is the only cardboard cutout left standing in the shooting gallery of the American dramatis personae. So I, yeah, I I definitely agree. You know that's uh and it was that so that's I mean you know you you read enough you read enough Foxfire books you know. <laughs> <laughs> which is which there was a lot of research reading by Foxfire. So I was like, you know, I mean, there's there's more here. <laughs> there's a lot here. So, you know, I, I, I guess I did all right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And and lots of good has come from the uh, the Scots Irish, North Carolinians and Georgians, including Robert E. Howard, for those of you out there who are uh, skeptical of of me talking about my heritage there. <laughs> So uh, the the other thing that, of course, has to be mentioned is you were uh, one of the biggest players in one of my favorite DCC products, that being the Lankmar box set for Dungeon Crawl Classics. Uh, obviously, you know, Lankmar, it makes up the DNA of D&D, not just in that it's included in Appendix N, but it was one of the original city supplements put out for D and D. So, you know, what what was it that made you guys want to pursue Lankmar? Was it that kind of ingrainedness in role playing DNA, or or just a general love of Fritz Lieber? What you know, what was it? So the way that the Lankmar came about is that I had been I had been exposed to the Lankmar stories um, long before I read them. And I was aware of them because I, I, the, 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 you know, the, the Nawan mythos appears in the old hardback deities and demigods. And, uh, and so I remember as a kid looking through that, like, like this, like this amazing, like the the thieves guild and like the slayers brotherhood and like all this stuff was really, really evocative. But you know, this was 1980, 1985, 1986. So it's not like I could go on Amazon and order them or anything. So, you know, and, you know, and my local library didn't have them. 
so it was so i you know i just there was just kind of this this concept which i which i sounded really cool but i had no first-hand experience with it until in 88 i saw the uh, night and Nave of swords the last of the collections on a spinner rack in a, in a pharmacy and i took a look at the cover uh, there's a big guy and a little guy although the little guy was kind of dressed like napoleon and you know i'm like this one and i look it over and I look at the back and like i recognize those names so i so I, I got it but you know i picked it up there and a lot of people will tell you that the last the last anthology is definitely not the best um, but you know, I, I read it and I'm like, where's this Lankmar place? You know, where's all this, you know, cause of course at this, at this point they had, you know, completely left Lankmar behind and everything like, that. so I was just like, all right, this is so good. Um, but, uh, so, so, but then in college, my college library actually had the first seven books in, uh, in the library shelves. And I had discovered that one day and I spent basically a week just reading my way through it all. So I, I read that and it basically changed the entire way that I approached Dungeons and Dragons. It just, it did the entire, like I went from Dragonlance high fantasy to what I call blue collar, you know, blue collar, uh, <laughs> fantasy, which is, which is very much Faffer and Grey Mouser. I've mm -hmm. always been very, it's always been very evocative to me. Cut to decade or two later, I'm doing work for Joe at this point, and all of a sudden I get an email. And the email is nothing but a picture. And the picture is the license that he had just signed with the library estate. <laughs> so I said, oh my God, we have we now have the library license. Because Joe is obviously, as you know, as I mentioned, um, the Appendix N is very much as part of like uh, Dungeon Club Classics DNA. So Joe, there he, you know, he's pursuing the estates, for the most part the estates, because there's Moorcock's the only one in the Appendix N list who's still alive. And uh, and wanting to do you know stuff with like you know have you ever considered about licensing this to do role playing stuff? And Liber was the first one. Um, so, uh, so the Liber state said yes, and that's so that's how we got involved because he, he wanted to do Joe wanted to do a DCT like bar setting, uh, mm -hmm. so it was totally his idea. And then that I guess it was it was probably like in June or something that this email went around. And at, at Gen Con two months later, we had kind of a group meeting at one of the restaurants after after the uh, the booth had closed for the day. And it was Joe and Harley Stroh and Doug Kovacs and myself and I think Brendan LaSalle was there. It was it and we just started okay, we started hashing out the idea like how would we do like bar? How would we do like bar for DCC? We threw some ideas around. And then I got home and I went through all of my stuff too. I, I went through, I had the complete uh, Dragon Magazine archives on PDF. And I went through and I pulled all of the backstory about Liber and, you know, the stuff that he had done and the, the old Liber, uh, the old Lankbar uh, war game. And I had a literary magazine that had a, uh, an interview with with with, uh, with Fritz Liber in it. And I scanned those and I put together this pack and I sent it to Joe and said, look, so here's, the, we have additional background stuff that we can draw upon. And Joe said, congratulations, you are now lead designer on DCC Lankmar. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so it was a job that I did not know that I wanted. And I was very happy to get. And then I was, uh, I was absolutely, uh, I was absolutely uh, uh, panicked because because uh, D and D had done Lankmar. They had done the City of Adventure, the old gray covered book for first edition, and then they did a lot of stuff for second edition. And the second edition stuff is middling quality of at best. And I saw, I knew it was very easy to get Lankmar wrong. And the kind of our battle cry going into that, Doug Kovacs and Harley and I were like, we're going to do Lankmar right. And uh, and uh, and that was our goal for five years. 
they're basically this as we slowly evolved everything. Lagmar was not a cash grab by any by any, like right. we announced it. It took forever for a you know I think it was five years when it was finally in hand. Um, but we had it ready. But you know the whole kind of getting everything done. We had you know there was some familiar issues long before COVID and everything. Well, eventually we got it out. We kind of held our breath, and I have heard a lot of very positive responses. So we were just like, I guess we managed to do it right, <laughs> you know, but. <laughs> But I, I mean, it was it was actually not as hard of a job because a lot of a lot of Lankmar is inherently kind of in the DNA of DCC. So, it, you know, we we basically it wasn't a matter of like having to rewrite DCC. It was just a matter of kind of tweaking some things to make the fit all the more better, you know. So. So. That is uh that is kind of how uh, that is, that is how that particular piece of piece of the puzzle fell in and uh, you know it was it was it was uh, it was a it was a it was a long uh, a kind of painstaking and terrifying process but uh, when the box set was finally released I I, I I'm, I'm very proud of the work that the team did on that and I'm very glad that the the the, the response from the fans have been and I'm glad that people are kind of discovering Lagmar for the first time due to it uh, mm-hmm. you know it was you know I was like I said I I was aware of it since like the you know the mid 80s. Uh, although I had not read it until till some years later, but uh, but you know it's one of those things. It's like the books can kind of go in and out of print, so they're not mm-hmm. always available. But now it seems you know, at least they're available. At least, you know, you can get them for Kindle at the very least, so they they are available out there. Although the uh, there, there's a lot of people <laughs> I see see people posting like the old classic '60s covers every time they manage to track them down in like a used bookstore somewhere for for you know two fifty. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, and and one thing I'll say. Um... I've been consuming these books uh, in the audiobook form, and the the reader that they have on Audible doing these books is very, very good at uh, differentiating his voice when he's Fofford, when he's the Grey Mouser, uh, you know, giving everyone kind of a unique feel to them. Uh, so if you are a listener of audiobooks, uh, the collections of the, uh, the Lankmar audiobooks are very, very good. Now, uh, along the same lines, uh, the, the next question I have for you, when it comes to Fafford and the Grey Mouser, uh, which story would you say is your favorite? And if you can't narrow it down to one story, which of the collections would you say is, is your favorite? Bizarre, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Lean Times and Lankmar. Lean Times and Lankmar, the, the one we were talking about, you know, yep. with earlier <laughs> Because that is such a dense story, uh, that is such a commentary on so many things. It's it's not only is it just an enjoyable like sword and sorcery story, but uh, it, it has a, a lot like uh, uh, Fritz Fritz Leiber. Very he uh, he basically was at seminary right after college in New Jersey. Uh, so he, there, at least he dabbled in a career in religion at one point. And of course, he is the son of Fritz Leiber Sr., who was who was a, a favorite stage actor. And so he knew basically the the uh, the the whims and and fortunes of the kind of the like the you know acting and you know later on he was in Los Angeles so he was he was friends with um with um uh not one of the Carradines one of the uh, name is um one of the Barrymores uh so he knew kind of the ins and outs of you know of of Hollywood and. Uh, Lean Times and Lankmar is a commentary on both religion and uh, like popularity and fame and the fleetingness of it. Uh, so I, there's there's a lot to there's a lot to read into it. Uh, and so I, I, I just enjoy that story so much. <laughs> hmm. 
Although, although I will say, although I do that, the first chapter also of Swords of Lankmar, the, the only novel, is the best um, role-playing uh, applicable uh, conversation I have ever seen in, in either fantasy or like genre, you know, uh, role-playing tied fiction. If you just, the, the conversation that um, uh, Fafford and the Grey Masters are having uh, as they're walking back to Lankmar coming home from a vacation, from, uh, from, from, from a, a misadventure, is absolutely hysterical. And you can see that the, the kind of the consequences and uh, happenstances around that happening at any role-playing game table that, that you care to name. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the interplay between the two friends in these books is very kind of reminiscent of table talk, uh, even though these stories came out before table talk would have been a thing. The the way that Fofford and Grey Mouser needle each other and and uh, egg each other on in certain ways or, or cut each other down in certain ways is uh, very reminiscent of how a lot of people interact with each other at the table. Mm hmm. And and I think that that's very much because of the fact that you know Faffer and the Great Master were are ba were based on the friendship that Fritz Leiber and Harry Otto Fisher had. So there was a lot of the you know they they were basically their kind of you know their idealized forms of themselves. So they had a lot of their you know interplay uh, made it into those pages, at least the way that Fritz interpreted stuff. So uh, so I think that's one of the reasons that it comes off feeling so different from a lot of the other fantasy because it, it is very grounded it is very you know it, it is as you say it, it sounds realistic because it comes from you know it comes from a real place rather than you know anybody like a, a highfalutin you know like oh, i am a lordly knight and you're my squire and i mean it's it's you know i i'm a huge tolkien fan but you, there are at no point we always say that the interplay between like frodo and samwise sounds anything that like you would have with your best friend you know no matter what was going on which you know which is it, you know, which is obviously not the case with the, with the fat friend gray mouse Hmm. And and just to keep talking a little bit about uh uh Lean Times and Lankmar, the uh the beginning chapter when uh Liber's describing the breakdown of their relationship between Fofford and Grey Mouser and the, the various rumors that were spread about it. I think my favorite is it was over the spelling of Fafford's name. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, there's that was that was all, that's there's there's that, and in uh in ill met in Lankmar, um there is a there's exchange between the two of them where uh where actually Mouser asks him what the 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 correct pronunciation of his name is, and that is I'm about a hundred I can't prove it you know with with evidence in court, but I I'm ninety nine percent positive that is that is Fritz Leiber finally settling the the the. Uh, the, the the, the discussion once and for all because I'm sure people were like, is it Fafford? Is it Furford? Is you know like trying to figure out you know fans of it not being able to agree on like how exactly they were spelled because of course this is this is pre-internet <laughs> so it, it's not like you know you're not like you could you know like see you know see Fritz talk about it you know online you know unless you were at a, a sci-fi convention that he happened to be attending you know it was just it's one of those words you saw but very rarely heard it pronounced. So, uh, so yeah, so the uh, so I think the spelling is part of that. The pronunciation, the other thing, it's you know, it, it's 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 definitely a great kind of the kind of a joke. <laughs> mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and, and for anyone who's uh, kind of wondering how that happens, uh, maybe you've read the collections uh, but aren't aware of this. The the Fawford and the Grey Master stories. Uh, the first one, I believe, was written in the forties. Uh, and 
36, I believe, was a uh, Tucson adventure. Uh, it was it was it was mid to late 30s. Gotcha. Uh, and uh, but actually, the first one was uh, the first 20,000 words of uh, what became Lords of Cornwall. Uh, which actually Harry Harry Otto Fisher had started, but it would not see published until many decades later. So actually, so Harry Otto Fisher technically wrote the first one, but it was not seen. The public didn't see it until long after you know uh, Fritz had had done his 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 his, his he had, he had taken up the burden of being the official chronicler of the Faffer the Great Mouser, as he put it. Uh, mm-hmm. But then these these stories were continuously written all throughout the 1940s, a little bit in the 50s, and then most of them were published in the 60s and the 70s with a, a handful coming out in the 80s as well. Yes. Yep, that that's that's pretty much the way to take. There was a there was a down period like right after the 40s and early 50s where kind of um fantasy had fallen on the skids. Mm-hmm. Um you know, once the once the pulps had basically had shut down after after World War II, um there wasn't really much of a market for it until the late 60s and that's when the Lord of the Rings came out. And that was just that grabbed the kind of the public consciousness. And at that point, you know, publishing companies were like, wow, uh, apparently there's a market for this fantasy stuff. Let's start putting it. And that's when, you know, uh, Fritz said, hey, there's a market for my stories again. And start, that's actually that's when they started collecting um, the the earlier stories and putting them in sort of some sort of chronological order. Uh, which Fritz would never worried about. He was just kind of, he was like Robert E. Howard. He was just like, I have an idea for a story. I don't know when it occurs, like in quote unquote on the, in the, in the timeline. But once they started putting it together, he wrote a bunch of like these filler stories that would tie one story to the other. That's why you have these weird kind of like, you know, 3000 word stories um, that, you know, just like, you know, it's like they're, they're in a boat and they get blown away and they end up somewhere else. And then, you know, then, then like, you know, an actual story begins after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting how uh, publishers have gone back in time and placed these things in in something resembling chronological order. It's not as it's not as jarring with these characters as it is uh, with Conan. Sometimes when you're reading the Conan stories, it's it's hard to place them in a specific time in Conan's life mm-hmm. unless you're dealing with the stories of him being the king, which are at the end of his life. But right, right. With these character, with these collections, and with these particular characters, there are certain moments where you're like, "Oh, uh, this is this is weird. Why are we here?" Okay, now I understand why we're here. Because you know, get to the next story. Ah, uh, and then you know, and then there's one. There's like, there's the one where suddenly they're in Earth. You know, yeah. they're 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 all close to the Mediterranean. They're hanging around. You know, just just you know, not far from Syria. And you're like, okay, where did <laughs> that come from? And uh, and that was because that was a that was an early story that that Fritz had played around with before, kind of like the idea of, of putting them on a a fantasy setting had come to mind. Because originally he like there was going to be another one that he was wrote which had uh, the Grey Mouser running around the Roman Empire, and uh, and he did preliminary work on that, and that would eventually turn into the Swords of Lankmar. After he kind of like they they kind of moved everything out of Earth, but he still had that story. He still had a Depths Gambit, uh, and they had to kind of like retcon that. And so they wrote the uh, the the wrong branch where they go into Ningable's cave and they end up suddenly with new identities on Earth. You know, so, so it's like, hey, I can still publish this. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know I, can, I still I can still make money off of this. <laughs> now, steering back into the the role playing aspect, when it comes to you know stuff like. Lankmar or or Conan or any any setting where there is an established character who 
is established as, you know, this is the, the greatest swordsman in the world. Or, you know, the, these two are the two of the best thieves in the whole uh, of Noan. Uh, how do you make players feel special knowing that uh, at any moment they could turn down an alleyway and see, uh, you know, Grey Mouser jump out of a window and call up and be like, Fafford, your turn. Well, see, one of the great things about with uh, with Lightbar is that uh, Fafford the Grey Mouser, uh, chrono- uh, you know, uh, uh, canonically absent from the city for great deals of time. You know, whether that whether that's for months, like when they do Stardock, when they go travel all the way to the to the cold waste and they climb like the mount, the you know the uh you know the the the, uh, the Mount Everest of Nawan, and then you know it takes them forever to get back. But there is you know there is the um uh, the price of panties, not the price of panties, uh, the Circle Curse, uh where they actually they leave Lankmar for three years. And they are effectively gone from it. And then in the later part of their career, they leave Lankmar and they resettle on Rhyme Isle. So one of the things that we, one of the sidebars we said in DC's on Lankmar, I said, if you're not comfortable um, having the, the uh, you know, if you're not having, having the, the characters run into Fafford the Grey Mouser, or if they're not interested in that, it's very easy just to set your game during one of those, you know, during that three-year period where they're out wandering around, or at that point where they have gone to Rhyme Island, they, they've, you know, they basically upstake and they, they don't live in Lankmar anymore. Or if you really want to go, you, you start, you just run adventure before they show up. You know, I mean, you know. It, 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 the only thing you lose is you lose some of like the established other characters, like you know, like the you might have to create your no like your own overlord of Lankmar, you know. I mean, uh, and you know, some of the characters like you know, Natic Nimble figures won't be around. But um, but you know, I mean, the that's one of the that's one of the good things about it. You can still use like Lankmar, the setting that they are, you know, inextricably part of, um, and not have them be present. So <laughs> that, that was that was luckily Fritz had done that. So it was really easy just to write a sidebar and say, "This is how you do it if you want to do it this way." You know, it, it didn't require a lot of uh, a lot of creative energy on my thought. <laughs> oh, and and saying that, I think one of the one of the really interesting places to set uh, a, a campaign within Lankmar, I think, would be right after. Uh, Fofford and the Grey Mouser take their revenge on the Thieves Guild for killing uh, their their women. I, I think that's an interesting time to to have an adventure take place because at that point, you know, Fofford and the Grey Mouser aren't necessarily Fofford and the Grey Mouser just yet to the people of Lankmar. And there's this massive upheaval of, hey, this thing that kind of lorded over the city of Lankmar has been decimated by these two unknown guys from, from, you know, God's nowhere. What do we do now? Right. Right. And that's, and that's right at, as soon as they do that, that's when they leave the city for three years. Yeah. So it, it's, it, you know, not only, not only do you have this great, you know, kind of upshift in like the criminal demimond at that time, you know, but you also have three years that, w- that are completely unchronicled in any of the stories. So if you, know, anything you write is just as good as, you know, as, as canon from the, from, uh, library stories, you know, it's that there's no, there's nothing that says otherwise. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's it's a the perfect window, and you know, I mean, three years of game time—that's that's plenty of time to to run a campaign that can go on for years of real time. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, a similar time would be right after uh, the the aforementioned God of the Jug incident, because that's another time where they wander off, go into a cave, and and uh, hang around Earth for a while. Oh, so. Heavy. They, they take they take off in the black treasure or their stolen boat 
and uh, they run into the Sea King, and you know they have some adventures on there. Eventually, they end up in Ilfbar, and then wander off in the cave and go to Earth for a while. So yeah, it's like you know, like I said, there's these perfect windows where they're not in the picture, so you, you don't have to worry about them showing up and like you know stealing the the, the characters, you know, stealing the player's thunder because they're you know they're off somewhere else doing doing other adventures that are unheard of at this point. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean it's 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 one of the it's one of the easier uh, established settings, you know, uh, to to deal with that. Now, now when it comes for like support for Lankmar, uh, you know, obviously you guys have been very prolific when it comes to putting out adventures for uh, you know just DCC proper. Uh, with with Lankmar, ha- has it been difficult to uh, keep volume up with? Uh, you know, published adventures, or are, are you finding that a lot of your writers uh, have lots of cool ideas for things that could happen uh, within Nuan uh, that would make for good adventure books? Well, well, here's the thing: is that I, I, out of my own self, out of my own sense of curiosity, a little while ago, I, I looked at the where the Lankbar license has been in the past. TSR had it for a while. Uh, Mongo had it for a while. Pinnacle has still has it, I believe. Um, but, uh, but I was just saying like, like, okay, how many like Marvel releases did TSR do it back in the day? And how much did Mongoose do? And how much did Pinnacle? And I am confident, depending on whether you count some of Pinnacle's like one or two page PDFs they put out, Goodman Games has produced the most material for like Mar, most role-playing uh, uh, material for like Mar ever. <laughs> so, so I am very happy with the sheer amount of stuff that we have done. I have also written a lot of that, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, but obviously with me taking a new position, I do have to step back a little bit. So I, I don't have my opinion. So we just Brendan LaSalle just did uh, he did uh, Mercy on the Day of the Eel, which just came out, uh, which was based on a game that he had been running for a while. Um, I have uh, I am actually I am writing a uh, another Lankmar story, another Lankmar adventure right now. Harley Stroh is working on one as well. So we have things covered. We we still have things coming out uh, coming out this year. Uh, you know, this year, start a new year, print, printer, printer demand, you know, uh, an availability uh, notwithstanding. And uh, and then we have plans for Lankmar Phase 2, which is basically we're working on another box set. Uh, so the, the idea has always been we start with Lankmar, and that's, you know, because that's kind of like the, that's the crown jewel on there. And then we kind of circle around outward. And then we start, you know, we start exploring the rest of Nawan. So uh, I've been think I've been, my eyes have been turned south from Lankmar lately. Uh, I've been looking at the at the jungles of Klesh. I have been looking at Quarmall. I have been looking at uh, Tovilis, and uh, and then you know so and then that's me personally. But you know there's a lot of places to the east and to the north and you know uh, so there's there's still a lot of ground that we have yet to cover and uh, there's still a lot of that ground I would like to cover before you know because because all licenses eventually have to come to an end and I know someday the Lankmar license will will pass on to somebody else. But uh, there's still there I there's still a lot of ground I want to be I want to I want to get to do <laughs> so you know so I would love to because a lot of people do not like the Rhyme Isle stories like the like you know like Nawan's Iceland uh, and I there's personally part of me like I want to crack that nut I want to be the one who takes Rhyme Isle and makes you know makes it to the point based on something and be like you know what. I want to go adventure on Rye Mile. So I know I, I if, if I can do that and do it successfully before the, the, the license ends, I, I will be happy. But uh but yeah, there there's no shortage of stuff of ground that we can cover. It's just a matter of figuring out what to do next. Actually, that's actually the targeting is 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 the biggest, you know, like, you know, 
because because you know theoretically you know we we you know at some like i say at some point the license will have to end but we want to make sure we cover like the big stuff before that day happens so i i am currently like i would love to do like a star dock adventure but the the, the thing is like how do we make mountain climbing exciting like if i can solve that problem <laughs> we will do a star dock adventure but it's, there's got to be a way that is more than just like a series of ongoing ability check rolls you know <laughs> so I, I haven't quite figured out that mini game yet but it's it's in the back of my mind <laughs> so i i've been working on what i've been calling dynamic combat rules guidelines i i'm not entirely sure where it's going to land with that but one of them is handling climbing a mountain and uh like what encounters would look like on the side of a mountain and what movement and combat would consist of on the side of a mountain so my my thoughts have been uh on that particular subject uh a lot recently yeah it's i mean it's uh it's, it's one of those things it's very exciting in real life but around the table not so much mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and the I mean the conclusion that I've come to is basically you just have to go from set piece to set piece. So you you essentially have to skip over the the climbing part. The climbing part, like you said, is a series of skill checks. You know, you you're climbing. Right. It's the it's the moments where someone slips and falls, or the moments where uh, you know some kind of rock scorpion or or four armed ape creature comes swinging down uh, on a a vine or on, uh, you know, some kind of uh, icicle or something like that to to attack someone. That's where uh, the the mechanics and the action kind of, you know, kicks Mm. in, at least for what I've been kind of percolating in what I hope to someday publish. Well, I, 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 in the back of my mind, you know, I, I think... I think there might be an answer to it with a shoots and ladders board game. <laughs> that that is interesting. I, I I think I think there might be a way to hack that. I, yeah. I haven't worked it out at a convention yet, but you know, it's it's one of those things, oh you land on a square, have an adventure. Oh, you go up the ladder, you make progress on uh oh, you know, some downfall. <laughs> you know, so you know, I mean it, it might be there. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a, that, as I said at the start of the show, I, I am always looking for new games to figure out what I can steal for them and put them in a new incorporating game because, you know, nobody comes up with anything creative anymore. It's just, we were just, we're all, all standing on the shoulders of giants, even though those giants might be named Milton Bradley. <laughs> yep. Yep. As, as Richie Blackmore of Rainbow once said, you have to either be a creative genius or a clever thief. So, right. Exactly. Very much so. <laughs> and, and since we're talking about Lankmar, a uh, clever thief. <laughs> exactly and uh, just don't let the, don't let the thieves guild know that you're you're out there you know, unless you have your unless you have your silver dagger and your license no <laughs> absolutely absolutely so uh as we're kind of uh you know getting towards the uh the end of our time i don't want to end this show without talking a little bit about what goodman games has on kickstarter right now uh which is the original adventures reincarnated uh, for Dark Tower. So before we get into that campaign specifically, uh, what are the original adventures reincarnated for people who haven't heard of that particular line of product? Okay. So uh, the eventual, uh, the uh, original, original adventure, the original adventures reincarnated uh, began a couple of years back 
when uh, Good Morning Games has this tradition of basically uh, of uh, one of the reasons I get along with Joe so much, we're very interested about the history of the hobby. You know, I mean, now we're 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 almost fifty years of, of role play. You know, in two more years, we you know 2024, and we'll have fifty years of, of Dungeons and Dragons at this point. So, um, so we've been Joe's been very interested in kind of recognizing the past and preserving the past. We uh, we worked with uh, uh, James M. Ward and did uh, a lot of reprint of Metamorphosis Alpha, the first science fiction role playing game. So. So we we looking at the past and you know providing some sort of historical context toward it. We would get people who were involved back then, interview them, and all the rest of that. So the oral line basically came out as part of this. So Joe, um, actually uh, Mike Merles, who was then the head of development for uh, for Fifth Edition D and D, he and Joe go way back. Like they, I think Joe published the first thing Mike ever wrote, which was like a uh, which was like a a army write up for Warhammer 40k in Joe's like Warhammer 40k fanzine that he was like basically publishing out of his garage at some point back in the in the you know in the in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Um, so, so Joe basically said, well, why don't we, why don't we do, why don't we like convert some of the old adventures over for 5e and we'll, we'll put commentary and stuff on that. We'll, and we'll flesh out some of the areas which were left kind of undone. Uh, so that began with the very first one, which was, uh, B1 and B2 in search of the unknown and keep on the borderlands. So that was, and that was, that was very well received, you know, uh, cause people were, there was the older crowd who had basically, oh, I remember playing this, you know, back in, you know, 81 or whatever. And, or, or now I get to play my kids through it, you know, using the 5e rules and, oh, you know, this, all this stuff that wasn't covered in there. So uh, so that's where the line started, and we did the first six of them were all done over old TSR wizard properties. So we did uh, we did uh, uh, B one uh, we did B one and B two, as I said. The we did the Lost City, we did uh, Castle Amber, which I, I did that one, and we did uh, we did uh, Isle of Dread, we did Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, and then we did Temple of Elemental Evil, which that was that was a beast. Um, but we had. Um, uh, Joe uh, knew Janelle because they had originally done some of the uh, some of the Judges Guild stuff back uh, during the 3.0 3.5 years, and you know Janelle has been in the hobby since you know since the start of it almost. Uh, so basically, uh, Joe and Janelle came to arrangement, and Goodman Games bought the rights to Dark Tower. So uh, so we decided, okay, well. Uh, because we can't do PDF and we can't do v virtual tabletop stuff just because of the agreement that we have with Wizards, we said, well, let's do one where we can do all that. So we said, and Dark Tower is one of the, it was voted one of the 30 great adventures of all time in a Dungeon Magazine uh, back in the 2000s. And it was the only non-TSR, non-Wizards title to appear on that list. And it is, uh, it is just, it's a classic for many, many reasons. So we figured that this was a time to approach it, and because we own the license, we own the license outright. Not only this time around could we do a 5e version of it, but can we also do a Dungeon Crawl Classic version of it. So, uh, so we, uh, so we, we launched that Kickstarter last week, and uh, as of today, I believe uh, we have it's we, we it's the the uh, the most successful Kickstarter that Goodman Games has ever done. So, uh, so it is, uh, and it is, it is such an interesting adventure. Uh, a lot of people are like, I've never heard of this one. And we're hoping that the, or number seven is going to be like, well, there's a reason you should, <laughs> because it is a, it is a damn fine piece of adventure design. Janelle, um, Janelle, every, every accolade that has ever been heaped on Janelle, she deserves every one of them. I mean, that is a, that is a, it is a masterclass. If you were interested on how to do a dungeon crawl, 
you you deserve to take a look at, at you know at Dark Tower. So so we're very happy to kind of be bringing that one out and uh, you know getting that back into the public view and no not only be able to do it for five e but we're doing it for DCC and. You know, and the like I said, the first six of them were all based on dungeon, you know, existing Dungeons and Dragons property, properties, and all this one was originally written for AD and D back in 1979. The influence on this one very much Robert E. Howard. I mean, you have you literally have a Temple of Mit, uh, Mitra and a Temple of Set, and if you know your Robert E. Howard, those are two names that you're going to recognize in there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so looking over it, I would just like this is like the perfect fit for DCC. This is like a fit that you know, like the Isle of Dread or Keep on the Borderlands would never have. And I'm so happy that we get to do a DCC version of it. So, yeah, yeah, and and as we were talking about before uh, we went on the air here, because I've been thinking so much and talking so much about uh, running Dark Sun using DCC, uh, I think Dark Tower is a good place to kind of launch a uh an exploration of porting that particular adventure into uh the world of Athos and seeing kind of how it how it lines up with uh you know the the world of of dark sun yeah i mean i mean there is there is, of course, with set involved, there's sort of there's an Egyptian theme, of course, to it. So there's a lot of there's a lot of a desert, you know, environment in it. So I mean, the so moving it from you know the the uh, the the, the Mitra's Fist, which is the setting of of the Dark Tower, to Athos is 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 you know uh, is very very easy. I mean, <laughs> of course, of course, you'll have to do some tweaks, but I mean, that's what DCC is all about. Every just just tweaking the rules a little bit to make it the perfect fit. <laughs> so, yep, absolutely, and and. Just to sell people on this uh, campaign even more, uh, what you're getting with the physical editions of these books is this: uh, it's a a slipcover case with three hardback books, uh, which include, I believe, the original adventure, uh, the DCC version, or the Five E version, uh, depending on which one you get, and I don't remember what the third. Book so there's, is. So there's there's two there's two different sets. Each one yeah. each one of the sets has three books in it. So uh so uh, one of the books will be the same. So one mm-hmm. of the books is the original uh Dark Dark Tower that was published in 1979, and that one also has commentary about it. they have you know people who are talking about it and everything. Uh, and then you have Dark Tower converted over to either DCC or to 5e, and then you have uh, the third book which we are calling the Sons of Set. And the Sons of Set is new material uh, set in the Dark Tower, in the Dark, what what I coined the term gen, the Janelliverse. Uh, so, so basically, uh, the uh, in Dark Tower, there is the Temple of Set, and there are the Sons of Set, who are basically kind of like minor, almost demigods uh, in the classical sense, like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the son of a god, and, you know, they're through, through a mortal, uh, through, through a mortal. And, uh, and so Set has four of them. And one of them, one of them shows up in Dark Tower. So if one of them shows up in Dark Tower, that means three more of them are out there somewhere. Uh, so we did the Sons of Set, which basically those are three separate adventures, which uh, which each involves the other three remaining Sons of Set. So it's basically it, it you can run it after doing Dark Tower, or you can run it as basically this campaign to you know to shut down the threat the 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 threat of Set once and for all by taking out all the all four of the remaining Sons. So uh, so there's so there's going to be a DCC version of them and there's going to be a five E version of both of the of that book for so additional additional adventures of it. Gotcha, gotcha, and that is currently going on. Uh, it has twenty two days left. 
There's all kinds of great uh, add-ons for it, including miniatures. Uh, so if you're like me and the siren call of uh, of plastic or metal is irresistible to you, uh, that option is available. Right. And uh, actually, on uh, Thursday night, we are going. there's going to be a show on the Good and Games Twitch channel where we are actually going to reveal some more stretch goals. So uh, I believe that is 8 p.m. Eastern off the top of my head. Uh, I don't have to check the invite. But uh, if you're not doing anything, tune in there and you can hear us talk more about what, what you're going to get because we have we're, we have run out of stretch goals a week ago, it feels like. So <laughs> we've been working on, okay, what do we do next? So we, there's been a lot of interesting talk going on. I, I think we're going we're gonna to have some stuff that people are going to be excited about. So if, if, you're, if you're already part of following Dark Tower, uh, tune in. If you want to know more about what's going on, also tune in there as well. Um, and to uh, to kind of round out our conversation here for anyone out there uh, who has not at least uh, put their toe into the pool of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics, aside from a set of Zochi dice and the core book, what would you recommend people pick up if they are looking to start uh, their adventures in Dungeon Crawl Classics? If you are interested, if you are Dungeon Crawl Classic Curious, if you're DCCCC, uh, I would advise you to go forthwith to the Goodman Games website and look for, do a search for the DCC starter, starter bunder, starter package, starter kit. So for $30, that will get you a copy of the DCC rulebook and hardback. It will get you a copy of the DCC judges screen. It will get you a, an adventure and it will get you a pack of 14 funky dice. And that's for basically, that is everything theoretically you will ever need to play Dungeon Crawl Classics for basically five bucks more than what your standard kind of, you know, starter set goes, which is maybe, you know, a, a most most main decent, most main role-playing games where you might get like the first, you know, rules and how to get to level two, you know. And, you know, uh, this is basically everything you need to play for 30 bucks. <laughs> so um, it is it is an insane deal. I don't know how Joe does it. Um, you know, I, I, um, if you, if you have been playing DCC and you want to get a friend into it, that's the perfect way to, you know, that's, a, that's, you know, it's like the first one is only 30 bucks and, you know, it's like, we're doing it because once you experience DCC, if, if, if it is for you, it, it will be the, the beginning of, of a journey into a very, very interesting gaming, uh, with, filled with very, very interesting and creative and all around nice people. <laughs> so, uh, so if you're on Facebook, uh, I hardly recommend uh, doing a search for the DCC Rocks group. Uh, that is that is the unofficial official DCC group. Uh, it is unofficial, but most everybody involved with DCC hangs out on there. Uh, there's also a DCC Discord channel uh, as well, uh, which uh, if you do a search for that, uh, I'm also part of that. Also, some of the other people's good men. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's stuff out there. And I said, it's a very, very opening, very, very welcome community. Uh, community and just generally, generally a lot of fun people. I'm very happy to be one of the few fandoms these days that I, I am I am happy to be part of with no reservations whatsoever. So, yeah, I, I have not run across a single person who plays DCC where I'm just like. Just you, you stay over there and, and we're going to we're going to hide you from everyone. when We're trying to convince them to play this game. Right. It is. It is a. Uh, it is the. Uh, as I call them, it is. Uh, I, it is the the greatest. It is the greatest bunch of weirdos in a, in a sea of weirdos. I I am happy to be associated with. So you know, there's there's, there's a special quality about the DCC fans. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and partly the fact that DCC is pretty much. 
Uh, it's very old school in the way that it's rulings, not, it's, you know, it's rulings, not rules. So you don't get in arguments of like, what's the best character build or, or how to interpret most people are like, like, how do you do this? Well, how do you think you want to do it? That, that's probably the right way, you know, <laughs> but, but we'll give you some suggestions on how you do you very little of that. You know, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so I, I think that's one of the main reasons that the community is so welcoming. Yeah, and the the anarchic fun and just kind of weird intensity, but like a happy intensity. It reminds me very much of another group that I'm proud to call myself part of, Rush fans. So if if those are your people, I, I find in general uh, the the Venn diagram of like Rush appreciators and gamers who enjoy DCC is uh, pretty much a circle. So. There's a lot of overlap between, you know, certain classic, you know, rock bands. Like, you know, I mean, it, you, I, I, I'm willing to bet you will find a higher percentage of, like, Rush Rush fans or, like, Hawkwind fans or Yes fans amongst the DCC crowd than you might ever under your, your standard, like, 5E group. You know? mm -hmm. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. with that, but, you know, it's just, you know, I mean, I, 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 I when I run games at convention, I actually use a, uh, a Yes album cover. I use Yes songs as my GM screen because it has, like, the Robert Dean artwork on the front of it. And it just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. <laughs> so. And for those of you, for those of you who want to enter the world of Lankmar uh, in DCC, the Lankmar box set, which I will hold up again and try not to reflect my light onto, this is your uh, your beginner uh, thing that you want to purchase. It comes with an adventure. It comes with the. Uh, the Judge's Guide to Nuan, and it comes with the, the Secret Knowledge Supplement, and uh, No Small Crimes in Lankmar, which is an adventure where, uh, well, your your characters are this big. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I always go back and forth, like, should you ruin that? Except for the cover just kind of, you know, ruins it for it anyway, so it's no big surprise, but, you know, I mean, and they... Uh, and it has, as I'm very proud of say, the most, the most authentic uh, and uh, and uh, uh, map of Lankmar ever published. Nah, no, it is. It, it, I have. We we did a lot of research in making sure that 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 is correct. You will need a copy of the DCC rulebook, however, in order to play that. In order to play it, so again, go get your starter kit, thirty bucks. You know, get <laughs> dice, everything you need, and then and get the Lankmar box set if you're a fan of Faffer and the Grey Master, and you want to see how to do it the most, uh, the most um faithful to the stories uh that has so far ever been done as far as i'm concerned <laughs> and then for those of you who want to get into lankmar the setting Fafford and the gray mouser stories if you're looking for a place to start i will again recommend the uh first collection which is swords and deviltry if you just want to read one story though uh, to start, I would say start with Ilmet and Lankmar, because uh, that's the story of Fafford and the Grey Mouser meeting for the first time. But Swords and Deviltry is that first collection. That's where you'll want to begin your reading journey of uh, Fafford and the Grey Mouser. Counter that. And okay. I will say that some people bounce off hard off of the earlier, like the origin stories. Yep. Uh, I know, I know people have issue with snow women. I personally love it and everything like that. I think you could start with uh, Sword Against Death, which I believe is volume two, if I'm remembering off the hand, which starts with, um, uh, which begins with Jewels in the Forest, which was, as we talked, that was the first one ever published. 
uh, and you can go from there. And that because that has a lot of the that is as that is a good uh, solid foundation of them. So if you you know and it kind of like Conan, you don't necessarily need to know the origin story. You can kind of jump in and know these are two guys who've been hanging around for a while and they do crime. You know, so so I will say that you know if if you if you do Swords Against Deviltry and it doesn't quite click for you, maybe put it down, do Swords Against Death, and see how that works out for you. No, mm-hmm. that's another option. I in the DCC Legmar actually, uh, I suggest trying to read the books as they were published chronologically, not rather as they, as they are collected. And you can you, you can find a list. There's a bibliography of the of the years they were published uh, in in the the box set too. So try to cover all the ground. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for coming on and and talking with us about DCC, about Lankmar. It's always great to talk about these, you know, stories that gave us the games that we enjoy today. So, you know, thank you for allowing me to do that once again here on Rolling Bones. It was a pleasure for me to come on and talk for an hour and change about stuff I love to talk about. So (laughs) thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, As I said, guys, that's going to do it for tonight's episode. Uh, Once again, uh, you can follow Valor Studios on Twitter. Uh, You should see a link for that over here in the the chat. Also, subscribe and, uh, you know, follow us here on Twitch if you feel so inclined. And uh, definitely join us over on Discord in our Discord channel. Uh, Those are the best ways to find out what we have going on. Uh, We do have an announcement and a a cool thing to share with you here at the end of the episode. Uh, Not to bury that announcement, though, I have another announcement of my own. Uh, That being the uh, surprise kind of big episode that I've been teasing for the end of this month, and that is that next week uh, we are going to have Tracy and Laura Hickman, the creators of Dragonlance, here on Rolling Bones. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I know there's a lot of you out there who are huge Dragonlance fans, so this is going to be your chance to hear about that particular uh, series and setting here on Rolling Bones. Uh, So I'm looking forward to having the Hickmans on here, but not to bury uh, the the lead as far as this uh, this next uh, announcement goes. Uh, Valor Studios is proud to announce the uh, the most recent of the newest uh addition to our actual play library and that is uh you know coming up here we've got this video to show you guys uh once again from cheyenne wright this is axion so i hope you guys will join us next week and until then whether you rolled a one or a 20 i'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me ryan howard and definitely stay tuned here for this axion teaser thank you and have a good night